that I think people thrive when they have a sense of shared identity. Yeah, I mean, they, they are the primary psychologists, aren't they? The coaches. That's every single day they are having an effect on the mindset. Uh, with Harlequins, we genuinely aspire to win every competition we're in, but we are not prepared to compromise on our style of play. Uh, I think every time I go into a team, I feel a bit daunted by probably what, you know, what, what they want to achieve and how we're going to achieve it. Hello and welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mindset and performance coach. I help players and teams all over the world overcome setbacks, play in the zone and achieve higher levels. On this podcast, I chat with people at the top level about their journey so that you can get their insights and hear what worked for them. You probably agree that you need to be strong mentally as well as physically, but most players don't know how to work on their mindset. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player, is like a gym program, but for your mental strength. In it, you'll learn how to instantly move on when you make mistakes in games, how to feel excited and confident on the field, and how to play in the zone. And it's available now on Amazon. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening, and be sure to send it on some friends. Cheers. Today's chat is with Owen Eastwood. Owen is a performance coach who focuses on team culture and leading. He is currently working with Gareth Southgate and the England football team. And in the pod, he talks about some misconceptions that people have of what those players are like to work with. He started working with Harlequins two years ago and they went on to win the Premiership. And he's also worked with the South African cricket team, the command group of NATO and the British Olympic team. People talk a lot these days about culture and how important it is in teams. And from all that I've seen and read, Owen is, in my opinion, one of the absolute best in the world when it comes to building a strong team culture and creating an environment where people can be the best versions of themselves and in turn then, of course, perform their best on the field. There are so many learnings in this one. I love how Owen explains things and gives you practical tools and exercises that you can do with your team. Owen also wrote a brilliant book called Belonging. Definitely check that out. I'm a big fan of his work and really enjoyed this chat. So here's episode 71 with Owen Eastwood. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website, sparkswealth.ie. Recently, a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple, easy to understand way, no jargon, and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So chat to me a little bit about what we were just talking about there with uh, the mindset side of the game. Well, in rugby, my experiences are that everybody, I think, now acknowledges it's a huge part of performance. But I do think there is a bit of 
confusion around how you actually integrate it into the way you, you know, operate and coach teams. And I think if you look at it statistically, it's quite remarkably low, the amount of teams that actually have um, something close to a full-time resource around mental skills. And particularly if you want to contrast that with a lot of other professional sports. So to me, that's that's sort of interesting. And I think people, we, we spoke about Aaron Walsh before, I think it's less important um, what's on your CV in some ways. It's more important if you can talk clearly around this is the best way to do this in an environment. And, you know, there are a lot of very well-qualified people with lots of model psychology models, et cetera, that they talk about. But I think that's what I'm missing a little bit. It's just people are able to just step up and say, hey, this is a very simple, practical way about how we can bring this into your coaching and into the you know weekly environment. So I'm, I'm hoping that gets a lot better because um, it's been a little bit neglected, I think. Yeah, 100%. And that's something I found years ago. Um, sports psychology, all this was very complex. Like when I was younger and I, I didn't get it or understand or just thought it was too yeah too complex and difficult but um it's actually not Hmm. i agree i think it's it's not a good messaging to talk about how complex it is i remember a few years ago i was um, i worked a bit in professional football when i was at a at st george's park in england and waiting for my session whatever to start and some guys were in a table beside me just chatting and they were saying about how some studies show that football is the second most complicated task that humans do <laughs> and I, was, I was thinking what a horrendous mindset that is to take into a group of young people and coach them like you know and, and, and I think it depends how you look at it is, is it really that complicated there's goalposts at either end you're trying to stick the ball in between them and um, stop the opponent doing it. Is that really the second most complicated thing in the world? So I think when it comes to sports psychology for me, I'm just speaking for myself, but I do get a little bit confused probably if, I'm to- if someone's talking about one psychology model and one's talking about another one. I like the people like you who are able to cut through all that and just talk very simply and straightforward you know, and try and understand, you know, how a person is thinking and feeling their way through games and the things that are getting in their road, but also what their super strengths are and just keep it nice and simple. And um, also, you know, obviously my background's around team culture and I've also found that I, I think there's quite a lot of people in, in, the, in that field who don't necessarily give the environment enough weighting when they think about an individual's mindset. You know, I, I give examples where you could have, you could coach an athlete into an incredible high degree of mental skills and, and, and um, a great toolkit around their resilience and focus and everything. But you stick them in a flawed environment, they'll probably come undone. So it's, to me, it's not good enough just to be good at one-on-one conversations with people and doing a nice piece of work around that. I think you've got to step up and have a point of view and influence the overriding environment. People like Gilbert Anoka with the All Blacks has, has been doing that for a very long time. Um, I'm not sure there's other standout examples necessarily who are equally capable around the environment and the individual. 
Yeah, hundred percent. The environment is so important, and something I've found as well a bit with coaches is they just worrying so much and pushing so much the tactical and technical, and then it can throw a player off big time. You know, because that's all in your head. You're just constantly then thinking so much about that, and that can take you off your game completely. Yeah, I mean, they, they are the primary psychologists, aren't they? The coaches. That's Every single day they are having an effect on the mindset of their players. So, again, it's an important part of the work of you and your peers that you aren't just on the sideline or the periphery of a team, but that you have a direct line of communication and influence to the coaching staff. <laughs> Again, so, you know, they, these are things which are probably a, 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 an integrated model looks like. Um, again, I just don't know how ubiquitous that is or, or whether it's still a bit rare, where the psychologist is off to the side and you go and deal with these guys because they've got a few mental problems and in inverted commas. I, I just don't believe that. You know, I think every single person needs to be building up their mental skills and their performance mindset, everyone. And the environment needs to be considered as a huge influence on those things. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, when you say everyone there, like I know LeBron James, Roger Federer, like all the top athletes, performers in the world all have some, you know, would be fully in touch with this side of things and working on it. It's not, like you say, it's like someone is going through a bad period, then go and speak with somebody about them mental side of the game yeah but uh, you know i haven't worked a lot in the u.s but i was surprised when i visited with a baseball team a few years ago and their starting team if you wish most of those individual players had their own individual psychologists and actually their own individual trainers and their own individual physios so they're effectively a you know, their own corporation to a degree and they all come together and play on the field. Now, the thing about that that didn't make a lot of sense to me was, okay, that's fine. These people are getting paid a huge amount of money to work with the point guard or the starting pitcher or whoever it is, but they've got no relationship or influence on the coaching staff. And it just comes back to my earlier point, is that if you really want people to be in their optimal mental state, you know, there's that insight from the English Institute of Sport that 70% of behavior is determined by whatever environment you're in. So to me, that, that, that looks a bit like a flawed model. If every individual has their own sports psych, but there is no one integrated into the actual team who's, who's got permission to comment on and challenge what's happening in the environment. And, you know, the ones who are integrated into teams Certainly the ones I've seen in different sports, often they are. They're, they're sort of pushed off to the side a little bit and not really given that type of permission. Yeah, 100%. That's a great point you make. And then something I sort of, once I was working with the player one-on-one -on -one and his environment was awful, it was, and it was a big challenge for me. And he was saying that like every time the ball was dropped, the coaches would make them go and run up a hill and other things around that and it just like just seems so awful to be honest and um 
I then yeah I was I was it was a challenge for me as well like working with them because I was I, I kind of had to explain to him that that's not you know not all your coaches are going to be like that because he was 18 and he had that coach for three years in school you know and he was going to university next year and he was not really enjoying the game and but he did love the game hmm. and that reminds me of when I play you know my um school days I, I played in our first 15 which is a school called southland boys high school in new zealand it's a, you know it's a, it's a good rugby school it's, and today it's still you know one of the top schools it's very competitive normally one of the top two or three in the south island and uh our coach who had many great attributes he was actually the new zealand schools coach but our first 15 coach um you know that exposed in me some of my mental fragility so for example I, was, I, I used to play in either 10 or 12, and <clears throat> it was just my nature was that if I made a mistake early on, I really found it difficult to shift that, and, and I would create a bit of a narrative of, like, okay, this is, this is not going to be a good day, or, or I've let my teammates down, I need to make up for it. So that what had happened and had passed became a, a big distraction for me, and it really, really disrupted my ability to focus on the next thing. And that was never, ever picked up on, even though the coaching was of a very high standard from a tactical, technical point of view. And also, I remember before one of our very big games, it was actually, I came into the team um, about a quarter of the way into the season after it had been an injury. So one of our best players had got injured and, and I came into the first 15. I'd, I'd been in the squad, but I came into the starting 15. I, I came in for probably our biggest game of the season. I remember we had to travel the night before to this uh, to Dunedin for this game and I mean, as I came off the bus and that night the coach who was the national coach took me aside and said Owen um, I've been watching you on the bus and you look like and excuse my language look like you're shitting yourself get your heads get your heads straight we need you to play very very well tomorrow right so oh, <laughs> exactly so there's an example, I suppose, where there was great coaching on a couple of levels, you know, technical, tactical, and all the rest of it. But on the mental side, it was really poor. And, and I, you know, as I look back on it, I, I'm you always ask the question: If I had have actually been coached around those things better, you know, I mean, what could have I achieved in my career? I mean, I'm not saying I was going to be an All Black. I certainly wasn't, but I think I would have probably gone on to higher things than I did if I had have been able to address those issues and but I was always just too tough on myself and never really you know gave myself best chance of being successful so again the work that people like you do is is massive in allowing people to fulfill their potential that's a really interesting story and uh, how do you see it with the very top level so a big part of playing in the zone or the flow state what what you want to call it is being playing like you did as a child will say like peeling back all the what's the coach going to think uh am i going to get dropped or will i make this team next week or are we going to win today um all those things that do go on in players minds and what i find, find an easy way to explain it is play like you play football in the schoolyard as a kid when you're eight years of age you're not worrying about anything you're just playing and i think the players at the top level do that. Um, but saying Harlequins, you know, is a great example. The way they play 
in the past couple of years, they seem to be so free. But um, yeah, chat to me a bit about the culture around that side of things there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting word, flow. I like the way you talk about it there, actually. I think sometimes people think, let's go into a flow state, which is this sort of zen-like spiritual state we get ourselves into, which for a lot of people like me feels pretty inaccessible. I mean, I, 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 my mind's too busy to meditate. I, I've tried it a few times and been absolutely terrible at it. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with the fact that I like things to be noisy and busy in my mind. Um, so flow state to me isn't me getting into some sort of you know, meditative state. When I think about flow, I think about it from a cultural point of view and an individual point of view. Flow for me is just getting all the crap out of the road between you and your goal. So I can't get into a flow if, although I would like to achieve this goal, I'm actually not completely clear on what the hell the coach is asking of me. I'm not 100% clear on what the game plan is. I've got an injury or something going on there, but I don't really want to tell anybody just in case I get pulled and, and, and lose my place. I've got um, someone in the environment who's actually taking a lot of energy away from me. But again, I don't really know how to challenge that. I don't feel the coach has any relationship with me. I don't actually think they particularly care about me as a, as a human being. I think that this is a bit transactional. Um, I think we've got a complete confusion around roles and things. So, so whatever, all these things are rocks in the road between me and my goal. And so the way I think about flow, again, isn't a meditative state. It is actually being able to identify what those things are. Some of them will be inside of you and some of them outside of you and friggin' shift them and probably need some help from people like you and good coaches, et cetera, to shift those things. But, you know, my job is focused. I don't work with individuals. I work with teams. My job is trying to identify from a team point of view what is in the road between us and our goal and move them and I think then you've got a straight run haven't you that to me is what flow is it's like when I'm running I don't want to have to stop and step over things and go around things I just want to friggin run straight towards my goal yeah brilliant 100% and you mentioned their environment a couple of times and what would say a good environment look like say with a, a club team or a team below a professional level Well, I suppose there's some things which, you know, pretty universal in terms of a good environment, and then other things are quite contextual. So I think in terms of, from a universal point of view, I think people are able to buy into something bigger than themselves if there's a sense of purpose and um, a vision of success which has been presented to them. You know, for some people that is winning a competition, for others it's it's something a little bit more... Um, uh, you know, discreet, avoiding relegation or, or whatever, or just actually just wanting to play a certain way. Uh, with Harlequins, we genuinely aspire to win every competition we're in, but we are not prepared to compromise on our style of play. And we're not prepared to lose our identity in doing that. Okay, so, so our, our purpose and our, our vision of what success looks like is not just a one-liner of, when picking up a trophy, there's there's something that has to go alongside that. Um, you know, my son's 15, he plays rugby in, in the Cotswolds. For those guys, they actually want to, they really, really want to make their families proud. They, that's who they really play in front of every week, and it's an opportunity to 
they see, you know, they're getting attention and they want people to be proud of them. So I think that, you know, but whatever it is, I think people enjoy, rather than we're just doing this because it's Saturday or whatever, we have a sense of purpose and um, we have a vision of what a successful season would look like. And alongside that is we have, a, I think, people thrive when they have a sense of shared identity. So we're, re- we're wearing a shirt. We're all re- representing this team, this area, this club, this country, whatever it is. But what the hell does that mean? People enjoy that. But again, I've worked with even national teams where there hasn't been really any explanation of what the national shirt represents, what it means to represent your country. I think that's a real loss. But even for an under-12 team, you can still explain to them, this is our identity. You know, my son, again, his team is a, a rural team, an agricultural community. They don't want to be fancy or pretty. or They, they, they really, physicality is, is big. So courage and being physical and sticking together these are the values of that community and that's what they like to play if they were living in the posh part of london then they might have a different identity and that's fine but where we are we've got we're very grounded and wanting to you know um mirror the people that we represent and what the club where the club sits in the community so i think those things are important and then you know i can't see anyone explaining to me how relational coaching isn't the best way to go about it so every individual has some relationship with the coach, where the coach cares about them as a human being, knows a bit about their story, and you know might have to make tough decisions around them. That's fine, but at least take their well-being and and the impact into account before they make them, and not not treat them as you know pieces of a chess game. So I think the relational coaching is also really really important for a, for a good environment. And you know there's some universal things about human beings. Human beings like a degree of autonomy. So no human beings, even children, don't just like being told what to do and being shouted at and having no empowerment. So we we want to bring that into the environment. So there's a few universal things, but there's a few contextual things as well. You know, for example, if you've got a very experienced group of players, then they would probably want to have more of ownership of how the team trains and plays and competes. Whilst if it's quite a young group of people, then maybe the coaching might need to be a bit more directive. The environment might be a little bit more directive. So, you know, I think you toggle between those things, depending on the group of people you've got. That's brilliant. Yeah, lots of stuff there. Um, and I love the way you're saying about connecting to identity of the team as well. And I remember when reading belonging as as well, I just looking back on the good teams that I've been involved in or the, yeah, the good clubs, we did that. Or, you know, it's like you mentioned about um, if there's a team in a city or a, t- a rural team and connecting to like the history of that. And I remember that in different teams, like buying into that. And we kind of were made aware of it a little, just a little bit, you know, and I wasn't even too aware of the bigger picture of, of what this meant or, but uh you really give more and you you feel that you are more when people do that yeah it's it's you know when we had a bit of a turnaround at quinn's you know a season season and a half ago there's a lot of factors that went into that most of all really how the players stepped up and took the challenge upon themselves um, and the coaches allowed and enabled that um but but also part of what happened was the team had been playing a certain style of rugby, which was not consistent with the club's own identity of itself. It was playing, you know, reasonably conservative 
maybe a traditional type of game, but that's not the Quinn's style. Quinn's has always been a team that is prepared to take risks, play with tempo, play with width, um, use its athletes, and sometimes it it doesn't play out and doesn't work out. And we actually saw that last Sunday when we lost 42-41 at Exeter. Um, but we don't. But that's their identity is to be like that. And so they, there's a group of very talented people who were not being able to play the identity of the team and what the shirt represented to them. And they were playing, frankly, pretty poorly. So one of the things that part of that turnaround was just the narrative within the whole club just shifted. And is that, you know, we're not in a great position in the league table here, but let's just reconnect to who we are and what we believe in and play that way. And as part of all of that, we introduced back into the team just the stories of where that style of play came from. And it came from Adrian Stoop. And, and, and the ground is the Stoop, as you know, so named after him. But, you know, he was England captain around 1910. And he would go away and play for England and they would play quite a cautious style and a conservative style. And he, he didn't like it. So he, he came back to Quinns and said, that it's actually not a lot of fun. Why can't we play with some width and tempo and pace and, and actually recruit athletes and just get the ball to them? Well, why can't we do that? So the club, you're the captain, let's do it. And then he started to bring in these incredible players, Ronnie Poulton and, and, and these other guys. And that's where the style of play emerged from. So we reconnected the players of today with that story. And we just said, look, the green light here, there's permission. Freaking go and express yourselves. That's who we are. That's what we're about. This is the way we've been for over 100 years. And whatever the results come from that, we'll see. But just go and play that way. And they did. And, and in fact, they won, won the competition that season. So, yeah, that's an example, I think, where it energized the players by being provided with a sense of identity that they believed in. I love that. And... I know there's so much nuance and different things, but um, like simply taking the focus off winning and what you're doing there, like just bringing it back to the process and just the the actual playing and the enjoyment of playing. And I've just I found so often that when teams focus so much on winning, like winning the match, winning staying of winning the trophy it um it can cripple you you know in the fact that you're always just focused on that outcome and you forget completely it's not about playing but when you what you've done there is just you know like just play rugby like enjoy playing rugby and expressing yourself and it's all in the moment all that stuff and then whatever happens happens and often like well that's just the example here often the what happens is good yeah, I mean, what I, you know, I work in different sports and it's all competitive, right? So I'd put it slightly differently. Winning is important mm. for teams who, are, who have put themselves in a position to be competitive, right? So I don't, I, I don't ignore it. Like I know some people are either end of the spectrum. It's like um, it's all they talk about. It's all outcome focused. And I, I don't believe that is the optimal way to set up a team. But I'll, neither do I believe it's it's good to never talk about it and sort of pretend, you know, we, we don't want to win and just pretend we want to play play a certain style. I think I believe in there's a place in the middle of those two things. So when I'm working with a team, we will early on absolutely have a conversation about what do we believe we could achieve this year. and. Hopefully it's winning. 
you know. But it depends where mm. we are in our cycle and all the rest of it. But okay, so that's our goal. We want to win. So acknowledge it, make it explicit, but then like taper off from it. So not talk about it every 10 minutes in every meeting. It is an acknowledged goal and objective. And we believe from an evidential point of view, we've got the resources and talent to do it. Okay, so that's fine. But then lock into the how. So it's not one or the other. I think we want to win. And then we, and then we focus on the how. And the how to me isn't just the process of the way we train and the tactics and all that. It also includes the how we're going to win this is our style of play, our environment we have off the field, and the connection between this group of people, you know, in terms of, you know, love for each other, um, psychological safety, all of those, trust, all of that. So that's the how. Not just what happens on the training pitch, not just the tactical bit of it, but the environment and the connection we're going to have with each other. And then that's when, but it's also, we always know every day we are working towards that goal of winning. Yeah, 100% really well put. And what would be some things that you would do to help with the connections and that side of things? Again, that depends on the context. Um, you know, like Harlequins have an extremely diverse team. Um, we, uh, a year and a half ago, only 37% of our team were homegrown. Now we've already bumped that up to 65%. Then I think of my friend Stuart Lancaster at Leinster. His team is well over probably 90% actually went to primary school in Dublin. Uh, you, you need to take those things into account. So, for example, at Quinn's, when a lot of people have come to the club from the outside and not been brought up in it, then I think you have to be quite intentional and create time and space to connect them together. Now we've actually got a team where a lot of them, in fact, the majority of the team have been through the academy together since they were maybe even younger than 16, just like Leinster. So with Leinster, they don't need to do a lot of sitting around telling stories and stuff because they know each other. But when, but it's, you know, I use a metaphor of just, we've got to weave this, different pieces together and some of that weaving can be done in the past so that's good we can use that but other times we've got to weave people in now so first of all your coaches need to have um, an understanding and buy into that that that's valuable and then we you know we can create both rituals um, particularly when people come into a team and I don't believe in this, this, the old style of like embarrassing someone singing a song. I don't believe that achieves hardly anything at all. Probably what, what I believe in is people being treated as adults and given a space to share a little bit of their story of how they got here. Um, but not in a scary way, just in a safe way. But anyway, there's rituals that can go with it. And also just creating shared experiences during the season. Um, making sure that we celebrate, not just at the end of the season, hopefully, but as we go that there are non-rugby things that are done during the course of the season um, where we get to spend time with each other and see slightly different perspectives of each other and have that time just to socialise. Um, you know, the other things that bond people together. Mm. And the rituals there, like you mentioned, sharing a bit about who you are. And yeah, I think it's definitely very important that teams move away from what I suppose what's been their kind of culture in the past and 
Is there anything else around that, like that you that you would have for when players join? You know, my preference is that it's done by their peers, not by the coaches or management. I think it's more impactful when someone is welcomed by a peer, not humiliated by them, but welcomed by them. Um, what I quite like is when a team has, you know, maybe at the start of a season, if, if some new players come in. With the South African cricket team, we actually I worked with for quite a few years, we did this. There used to be nothing, and it used to, people didn't feel a sense of belonging because you're never really welcomed into the environment. And therefore, the default mindset was I better score 100 or take five wickets before I get accepted here. And, and that, for a lot of people, maybe most people, actually goes against it performing at your best you know you, you you just sort of completely ridden with anxiety trying to prove all that stuff let alone just perform so you know what we would do is at the start of a new campaign new season all the new players would be put on bar stools and a senior player we had a wonderful guy Mono Morkel who was did it brilliantly but they would just have these ritualistic questions and that was um, put them on the bar stools. Where did you grow up? Where did you first play cricket? And what does it mean to others that you're in this team? And you just learned something about them. They knew that it had been a ritual that everyone else in that room had done, so they make the gave them a greater sense of belonging. But one of the wonderful things that you know Mornay would do, and then and then JP Dumini did it after him, would be to say, we tell them ex- explicitly that you don't have to prove yourself to us. You've earned the right to be here. Just go out and play. That's what they used to say. And it was, so it's not a coach saying that or, or someone like me. It's, it's their peer. Just giving them permission to be yourself and that you belong here and that you, you don't need to prove yourself to any of us. And, you know, it was amazing. They had, a you know, at least two of those sessions I went to. The next day, a debutante scored 100 on debut, right? So you can't tell me there's no correlation between the way they've been you know, brought into the environment and that ritual. Um, so, you know, things like that, they, you know, and, and, and you have some extroverts who, when they're asked a question, go on for a couple of minutes and tell a funny story. That's great. And then you have an introvert who's, who, who, might, who might give it quite a short answer. It doesn't matter. They've all done the same thing. And it all has a positive effect on everybody. But plus also their teammates just get to learn a bit more about them than, a, than sort of what they might see a face in the environment they get to know a little bit about their story and that generates a bit of empathy a bit of understanding and and a bit of love that's class and it also helps the teammates then connect with that person because you mentioned extroverts and introverts there and you know there could be or there will be lots of introverts within the team who may find it difficult to go up and talk to a new person or, you know, that's easier to some people than others, or maybe more sociable or whatever. You know, some people will find it easier. A new person comes into a team, they, they'll go over and chat to that new person. But um, some people will find that difficult and socially or whatever. And, and that's not to say that they're a bad person or that they're not wanting to make that person feel welcome. But by having something like this, you know, they talk a bit about their story and then they could connect to something, say, I don't know, they both played cricket when they were younger or something and then they can connect over that and it makes it just easier for everybody in the squad 
Exactly. And, and and the nice thing was, you know, you'd have two, three or five bar stools in front of the team, depending on how many new players had come in. So, you know, you had already had a feeling of a little bit of security because you're not just standing there by yourself or being spotlighted. You're with others who are in the same situation as you. And as I said, you also know that it's a ritual that's done every year. So everyone in the room has been there. So it just takes little bit of anxiety away the other thing i didn't mention was that after that particular ritual there would always be this the bomber as the south africans would say like we'd have a fire and a fire pit we'd go around that and everyone the leader the captain would start and just reflecting and then looking forward to the series ahead the campaign ahead and just make some comments and then it was an open space for anybody to, to say anything they wanted and and you know Sometimes that would be a new player, normally not, but they would hear from someone else who, who was maybe quite a junior player and they'd just say, you know, like, this is my second season in the team and I feel like I really, really want to deliver and, you know, I've learned a lot and I, I can't wait to play Australia, whoever it is. And, and so that was a nice, again, it's not really what the words are said, it's just the fact we're in a, around a fire together and then we eat together. So all of those things has a big impact on players sense of belonging and people getting to know each other a little bit and often what would happen is a debut you know one of the guys on the bar store would have said well you know i grew up in this area of cape town or whatever and then then you get a player who didn't know him particularly would come over and uh, during the dinner or around the fire and just say hey I, I actually was born in that place you know do, what school did you go to and all of a sudden these connections are starting to fire up a bit so, yeah, it's great. So it wasn't just, you know, the bus stores in a team meeting room at all. We'd always take it away from the meeting rooms, do it in a space, follow it with a, that little ritual around the fire and then follow it with a meal and eat together. Yeah, cool. And even the simple thing like the meal there, I remember just playing club rugby back in Ireland and every Thursday after we would have a meal together and it... um. It's just good space because, you know, people are coming from work or and then busy lives and uh, like for any team just to have just that hour or half hour where, yeah, we all just come in and have a bit of food and you're you're connecting outside of training. And yeah, like you said, those little conversations. I mean, I often talk about the hormonal soup that sits in a high-performing team and when you have those connections and those rituals you can get a endocrinologist somebody who's an expert in hormones to come and measure they could literally take bloods and in fact you don't even need to do that anymore and measure people what you'll see is you'll see people having a spike in oxytocin that hormone that we feel when we feel connected to people that will spike up during those sessions dopamine you know that 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 hormone that's released when we're motivated towards a goal that goes up when we're talking about when we're meeting each other and we're starting to talk a bit and think about our campaign ahead but it also endorphins which are both painkillers and incredible energizers as you know so and, and that's actually not just words when you eat with other people and when you drink with other people you also have a release of endorphins so all, all of this is to me an optimal sort of hormonal soup that we want to get into but if we're just going to have meetings where we talk tactics and technically, and I, I remember when I helped Stuart Lancaster um, when he was with England team, when he, when he first got in there, he asked me just to sort of, 
do a bit of work um, early on. And, you know, there was players who'd come under previous regimes and they had come into the environment and not even been like acknowledged in the team meeting or, or a dinner or anything. They just like, it was just, it was unsaid. And so they were just sitting there the whole time feeling like an outsider. Um, and you just think about it from a hormonal point of view. It's like they're just marinating in stress. So those other hormones, which really enable performance, there just wasn't anything done to spark them. So that's a big way, the a big part of the way I think about all of this is making sure we've got plenty of oxytocin, dopamine, and endorphins in the system. I actually felt, felt, I don't know what I feel it there, I felt for that player, and I know exactly what you mean. And just going into a new group and just standing there at the back, and you might be lucky to talk to one person on the way in, and then you're just standing there, and then they continue on talking, and then you go out to train, and you're just you're still a, an outsider when you train. And then you might finish training, and you might meet a second person to talk to, and then you go home. Well, people talk about imposter syndrome, and part of that for me is not feeling a sense of belonging. Not just that you don't feel you're up to it or up, you know, but but actually, so that player told me that he felt a complete imposter, and and he said he was literally standing in the line with the national anthem being played at Twickenham for his debut, thinking, "What the hell are you doing here?" <laughs> like he just had a severe dose of imposter syndrome, and. And he, you know, by his admission, didn't play well at all in that first game. And, you know, from my point of view, I don't think he would have felt like that at all if there had been certain rituals in place, space created amongst the, you know, admittedly a hectic schedule of a test week. Um, but in order for him to connect with the people around him and to be welcomed and be, to be told they're doing the right to be there and all these things. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, I come from a sort of a left field background into all of this. So I'm, I respect if people might disagree with me, but I think I'm learning a lot of science, which I think reinforces some of these ideas, particularly around hormones. Yeah, and something you're saying there actually resonates a little bit. So when I was younger, um, I went into like an Irish under 18 squad and I remember feeling, now there could have been a million other things at play here, but I played with the Leinster under 18s and... I knew I was a competent rugby player. Like I was, I was, I knew that I was talented enough to be there, put it that way. But I remember going in and nearly freezing because it was like that. It was, you go in and it's just, you get your room and then you go to your room and then you meet the next morning and you go through the line outs on the board and then you go out and you train and you know, the guys from, from your squad from Lens or whatever and then you know a couple other guys and and it's just uh I remember just like that just feeling like that I didn't fit and that uh, it was just so alien and I just wasn't comfortable and mm. things didn't work out <laughs> yeah well I think that's that is a very underrated but quite common experience with people and I've been in some sports environments um I remember going into a couple of Olympic sports environments where they think that's great because in their, their, their approach is that the weak need to be filtered out. 
So if people, you know, don't feel confident and they need an arm around them and they need someone to tell them that, you know, you, sh- you belong here, then they're weak. So actually it's good to have a ruthless, harsh environment because you get rid of all them and you just get left with the mentally tough people, you know, in inverted commas. You know, and to me that is complete BS. What, what, what you actually might get left with is people who have come from dysfunctional backgrounds who are used to not people not caring about them and being feeling... Unse- uh, you know, uncomfortable and un- untrusting. <laughs> I mean, it, that is just madness to me. You know, um, and I'm still not convinced a lot of those environments are changing. But to me, I, the, what I believe in is let's make everybody f- have this universal human need to belong. I mean, they do belong. Otherwise, you wouldn't invite them in in the first place. Let's tell them that. Let's actually try and turn the dial down on all the stress they're feeling. And, and dial up those other hormones we spoke about. So they're feeling pretty frigging good, pretty energized. And um, give them the best shot at playing well and enjoying themselves. And then down the line, let's see who are the elite Olympians or the elite um, international rugby players. But let's not make a call at 18, 19 or 20 because some people don't settle into the environment. But there is, it's a prevailing approach from some old school sports, yeah. Yeah. And with, uh, say, I think three sports you've worked a bit in, quite a bit in, but the cricket, football and rugby, um, have you seen big differences in the type of player or the, say, how they are or think? Or have you seen differences in that or are they the same? Well, you know, they're just like the rest of society, isn't it? They're diverse, they're different, they've all got their own personalities. To me, that's part of good coaching is to make the effort to value the time, even if it has to sacrifice other things, to get to know your people. Um, You know, I gave that example when I was a kid and my coach comes up to me and says, you know, you look like you're shitting yourself So to me, that's, you know, that is time consuming. And I know some coaches just love the tactical technical side of it and find that a bull ache really to to necessarily do this one-on-one stuff and do stuff outside of the season or go and visit people in in, in other environments. I I understand that, but I I think, I'm not saying it's this generation because I actually think that's a bit overstated, but I, I certainly feel people need to have a bit of love directed towards them and a bit of care. And you've got to make a bit of effort in relationships if you really want to unlock people's potential and, you know, just treating everybody the same. Like Gareth Southgate, I mentioned in my book, Belonging, you know, I mentioned a quote from him, which I think is some people, you know, on the face of it, they might go, it's a bit surprising. But what he said is that everybody is not equal. Everyone is not the same. Everyone should not be treated the same. You need to know the individual and then you need to accommodate that in the way that you relate to them. I think that's exactly right. Don't treat just everyone the same and make assumptions. Just do the work, make the effort. As a coaching team as well, I'm not just talking about the head coach um, and and the broader staff, know your people and then figure out a plan as to how to get the best out of them. 100%. And yeah, I suppose when, you, when you're speaking there, like if a, a coach is so into the tactical, technical, um, a coach and staff, somebody else, that that person 
would want or should want to get somebody who is better at the connecting with players or the, the other side of it around them so that they can, if that's their skill, so that they can have that need met. I suppose so, but shouldn't it be one or the other? I mean, Wayne mm. Smith's a good friend of mine and he's one of the best rugby coaches in the world. I mean, he's called the professor in terms of his tactical, technical knowledge, but he's also regarded as one of the best managers of people in the game. You know, you don't have to be one or the other. I don't like the idea of people delegating that or subcontracting that to someone else. I don't like that at all. Um, to me, that should be whoever is appointing head coaches should be satisfied that this person is capable of creating an aspirational environment and building relationships with individuals to get the best out of them. Um, and, you know, it's better than it was probably, I'm not sure, but uh, you know, there are certain in football you see it sometimes that it's like treated like chess players. Like if you do not deliver what I want and I need for, me, for myself right now, then you go and... And a real lack of effort in developing people and having patience with people as they improve over time. Um, you know, that's one of the things I love about Tabo Matson, who's the head coach of Harlequins, is that he has quite uh, an outstanding perspective of, you know, here's a 19-year-old in our program. This player will probably reach his peak in five or six years. So let's understand what is possible this year and next year and work towards that rather than if you don't deliver what I need on Saturday then I'll you're out of here and I'll grab someone a 35 year old from the free market to take your place but again I think that's another area altogether where the club itself should have a point of view on all these things and not just again delegated or subcontracted to a head coach I think the club and I think that's something at Quinns we're trying to build is make sure the club has the same belief system um, as the men's and women's programs in the academies are all on the same page. Yeah, and I'm a, is that a little bit of a challenge in professional sports? So, where you know it's like one year players might have one year contract, or you know they're into quote unquote do a job, or like say that nineteen year old feeling like he will get chances and that he doesn't need to. Perf- he needs to perform now but it's you know there's not the pressure every single week to put in a performance or he could get chopped again this is that's about good communication so as i said earlier we start with we want to win and we are very clear on how we want to go about doing that in terms of our style of play the way we want to train the environment we want to create um so all those things are locked in. And then underneath all that is the individual conversations with different players. And, you know, really good communication means that a 19-year-old player coming into the team understands their role, understands the opportunities and adversity that's going to come their way, um, you know, how many games they can expect. Um, if they are put down to the second team or whatever, then that's explained beforehand is something that will help their development so that they're, they're just clear in their mind they're not confused and muddled about what's going on they're not fretting they're understanding and then they can just simply focus on their role um and executing it so again this is what i'm saying i think it's so much of it is about relationships and just really really good communication yeah and what has been biggest challenge you've had going into a team 
<laughs> uh, I think every time I go into a team, I feel a bit daunted by probably what you know what what they want to achieve and how we're going to achieve it. Um, I think for someone in my role, it's it, the challenges are really getting everybody on the same page. And you know, when I was asked by Harlequins a year and a half ago to, to sort of get involved, um, you know, to their great credit. I said, if we're going to do this, the whole club needs to be on the same page and signing off on our identity, our vision, our culture. So we actually got the board came in, you know, the senior execs came in, the coaching staff came in, the Billy Miller, the director of performance was in, and we included the senior players, captain, and we all we all this we all sat there. And we all worked it out. This is what we believe in. And this is what we want to go after. And this is how we want to do it. And everybody got on the same page. And that's, that's not always easy, as you can imagine, in different organizations. Um, so for me, that's probably the most challenging is when it feels like there's a disconnect across an organization. Um, because what can happen is your coaching staff might believe that we're going to need two or three years to really become competitive. But if everyone's not on the same page, then people might be sacked before that is allowed to transpire. And you see that in football happen all the time. The reality of the football team isn't transmitted upwards and people lose patience and panic and do whatever. So whenever I go into a new project now, I try and make sure we're really, really aligned from top down. Everyone's on the same page and understanding the same. Um, that challenge we've got yeah it's brilliant and what are your thoughts on football and the way the managers coaches are employed well you know i'm, I'm a rugby's my passion um and cricket they're my favorite sports i've always enjoyed football not in the same degree so i, I enjoy it i've um I've worked with England football team for the last six years and the FA. I've enjoyed that um, from a performance point of view and from a professional point of view. It's been an amazing experience. Um, I, you know, understand in football there is, it is a bit crazy compared to other sports in terms of managers and coaches aren't given much longevity. I don't like that at all because I really do not believe that's the way to create a sustained success is just keep chopping and changing your leader. Um, but, you know, it might be an opportunity down the line at some point for working with one of those big clubs to have a different model, just try to be a bit more long-term vision, a bit more stable, really, really be clear about where we are in this moment and get the owners and the board to understand that and then make a plan as to yeah, it's going to take this amount of time in order for us to be competitive. Um, so, yeah, I, and I respect that I don't go around judging people as doing the wrong thing or not. And I th what I have found is that unless you're actually in an environment, I'm sure you agree, you can't really judge it. You know, if, we like to do it as fans from the outside and say, okay, like Ian Foster was under a lot of pressure with the All Blacks this year and people were saying all sorts of things about he needed to get fired and, you know, and I always felt that it was not for someone like me to make judgments around that from the outside. Emotional judgments, you can only really know if you're inside and when the players stood firmly beside them. 
um, during even when they were losing. Uh, you know, to me that said quite a lot. So I was, oh. I'm, pleased they, I'm very pleased they stuck with them, and obviously they turned it around and won the rugby championship by doing the stable thing rather than the panicky thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, there was a little, maybe still a little bit of a risk that rugby could have have been or is going that way, or looking at that football model of them. Um, you know, lose two games and people are talking or, you know, I suppose people can talk anyway. I don't think we're there in rugby. No, I, no. Don't, I don't see that at all. And I think that's a strength. Also, a big difference is in rugby, there's a salary cap in most competitions. Um, that makes a big difference, I think. Because uh, if a, in a football, if a club is spending more money than any other club and not getting success, you know, someone like Manchester United spending a huge amount of money and it's not replicated in the table and in the trophy cabinet, then that creates a very different dynamic than if you know you're in a competition where pretty much everybody has to spend the same amount on salaries. Yeah. And thanks, Mo, for your time. What, um, just one more, what has been, say, the biggest learning you've had going into a team and, you know, you go in and you're like, wow, that's cool the way they do that? Um, I think, well, certainly one of them would be, before I started working with the football team, I actually had quite a few people say to me, don't take that job. Um, because you're used to, well, you're a Kiwi for a start. You're used to rugby, cricket. This is a million miles away. These guys are nothing like you're used to. They won't care about the things that you care about. Um, you're used to humility and grounded people. And you're just not going to get that. So I, I was told that by some people I respected beforehand. But, you know, I just that's not my approach. My approach is just to sort of go on a little adventures so I, I we had the first ever meeting was in the dressing room um with the england team and they're all the guys were in there and gareth introduced me and i did it we, we, we talked about culture and i found those guys like an under 21 rugby team just grounded humble people who really care really good people and you know i've been in i been in and out of the environment for six years and I think Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling still there from when I started and just really excellent people and I think that was that was that was you know that was a learning in some ways because people were had all these um, hypotheses and presumptions around all these people from what they see on tv and reading the papers but actually if you just go into any environment um, and open your mind and heart towards them then you know i've always found excellent people and i've worked with the chief with the four-star generals at nato again going to be more grounded and humble and made me feel more welcome uh, so yeah that's what i've learned is that i've just have the confidence to go into a space and have a bit of humility and just listening and observing them and not imposing your own ideas on them um, and just make sure you you know, do your best to connect with them and then see if there's ways you can help them or not. Nice. Uh, that's brilliant. And hey, thanks, Mo, for your time on. Greatly appreciate it. And yeah, I love your book as well behind me, I think. Belonging. <laughs> I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you. And thanks for the great work you're doing and look forward to seeing your influence grow over the years as well. Hope you enjoyed the chat today. 
Would you please do me a favor now and send on some friends into your team's WhatsApp group or into your coaching group? I really like the stuff Owen was saying around player initiations and helping new players feel comfortable when they're coming into the squad. He talked about it in such a simple, understandable way too, which is brilliant. And one thing that I just want to mention is that I know as a coach or even a leader like a senior player that it can be very difficult to get everything done or get everything right. Like there's the tactical, technical, psychological, physical, and then there's admin and there's just so many things that need to be done and yeah, it can feel like there's a million bases that need to be covered. But I really feel from my experiences as a player playing in many different teams that number one, you have to make sure that players and other staff feel psychologically safe, that they feel like they belong and they feel like you trust them. And following on from that, then they feel like they can make mistakes and that they won't be shouted at or given out to or dropped the first time they make a mistake because for a player to perform at their best, they cannot be afraid of making mistakes. If you're afraid of making mistakes when you're out on the field, you're going to tighten up and you're going to play cautiously and conservatively and you need players to play with freedom to be expressing themselves on the field and daring to be great that's something i love dare to be great players have to be giving everything they've got and going for it so i would really encourage you as a coach or a senior player a player to put this stuff number one in your thinking before you start thinking about the playbooks and the fitness tests that you're going to do and all that crack like it doesn't matter how fit strong tactically or strategically aware a player is if they feel like a complete outsider and they're really afraid to fuck up so to speak or make a mistake and they don't feel like they're a part of the team then all that other stuff actually doesn't really matter I also want to mention it again as I did in the intro that Owen's book Belonging is brilliant it's unreal I read it earlier in the year and loved it and learned so much from that and if you have any questions about anything in this area anything I've chatted about in the podcast anything that came up please send me a message I'd love to help and have a chat you can contact me through my website offfieldrugby.com or my Instagram which is at offfieldrugby or also my LinkedIn which is my name Brian Moylet that's M-O-Y-L-E-T-T And would you do me a quick favor now and click into the app that you're listening on and make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss an episode. And please also leave a rating and a review for the podcast. That takes 30 seconds, but it is so, so helpful and so much appreciated. Thanks a mil as always for being here. Have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.